Welcome to Phone Booth Fighting. He is Frank Mir. I am Richard Hunter. Frank, we are back in the bunker deep inside the bowels of stately Mir Manor in suburban Las Vegas. It feels like it's been a while since we've been here. Actually, I've been busy while you've been away traveling abroad internationally. I've been busy here in the bunker appointing it. Uh, getting up soundproofing tiles and a big television monitor so we can Skype in guests and lighting and our new phone booth fighting logo that's over our shoulder here, not to mention our IKEA furniture. So, so what do you think? <laughs> was it a was it a happy surprise to come home to? It's nice. I'm impressed. Good, especially since I know your handyman skills are not too much better than mine. Oh man, <laughs> we uh, yesterday we were here in the bunker and we were trying to mount a television onto the wall. We ultimately succeeded in mounting the television on the wall, but f- two two guys and, and a none of drill. us lost a finger, man. <laughs> right? No, it was awful. It was like uh, it was like uh, uh, two men and a drill, and uh, on, uh, there was only a one bolt casualty. I think yeah. uh, we ended up getting the thing on the wall. So in the coming weeks, you'll see guests skyping into the bunker here. Uh, Phoneboothfighting.com. Speaking of new things, the all new website that has been launched. Check it out. Phoneboothfighting.com. That is a great way to support the show by going to the website, clicking through the Amazon banner, uh, which is a great way to support the show. You can do your shopping on Amazon. Doesn't cost you a penny more, but uh, the show does benefit if you click through the Amazon banner on phoneboothfighting.com. Also, show merchandise is available there. So if you want your phone booth fighting t-shirts, multiple styles, multiple colors, uh, autographed items as well, you can get all that at phoneboothfighting.com. And please, by all means, check out our uh, sponsor link to uh, see who supports the show as well. More on that later. Well, Frank, uh, tell everybody, catch everybody up. Tell them where you've been. Uh, there was, I know, at least one country that ended in the word "stan," which right. makes me nervous. So Are I'm we glad not back then? Okay. Well, we kind of have. I mean, we. If you recall, when's we, the last time we were in here doing this? It's when a week ago. But you traveled. You and I talked on the phone, but we yeah. didn't do anything on the podcast. Man, the, I'm starting was, like mix dates up and times together. Well, it was a 12-hour time difference, which well, is. Uh, the worst for us. I, I might be repeating myself. So I know I, we went on vacation with the family, a vacation we planned out a year ago. Right. A Disney cruise. Disney cruise. Uh, there was 28 of us. We went on that. Uh, the only part about it that kind of sucked was that I had to pack my stuff to go to uh, Dushanbe, Tajikistan from Miami. So the family and I, we all got off the boat. Uh, I checked them into their flight and then I got a ride over to the other terminal to go international. So I said goodbye to the family. They flew back home. So I went from vacation to immediately back to work and uh, flew to uh, yeah, Dushanbe, Tajikistan. And it turned out to be about you know, almost like 40 hours of uh, travel time. Wow. This is to call fights for ACB. Right. So I did the ACB. And then uh, uh, I got to stay the night in Almaty, uh, Kazakhstan, mm-hmm. uh, which was a very beautiful place. And it was actually kind of one of those things where like uh, the layover actually turned out to be uh, – uh, a good thing, because um, <laughs> at first uh, the the ACB is like, well, you know, I think there's a hotel um, at the airport. So when you land there, just figure out where the airport. You know, just you know, you're, you're kind of on your own a lot when you travel internationally. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you got to be self sufficient. So uh, 
When I got there, we landed like at one in the morning and my next flight now, I have a basically a, a 10 hour layover and, um, uh, the airport wasn't, <laughs> uh, the, the hotel was not adjacent to the airport. Oh. I'm getting, I'm talking to different people and broken English and, and, and whatnot that, that, uh, you know, anywhere from two miles away to it's in the middle of the city and, and good luck that the, uh, the cab drivers are going to take advantage of you because they see that you're a foreigner, you know, uh, should only, you know, you uh, didn't, you didn't blend in with the local uh, culture. I need to grow a beard. Yeah. That's the problem. Start with a beard and then you get like a fez hat or something. Do they it all might help those? too, yeah. you know, but, but definitely the beard, you know, uh-huh. I think that the, that's the part that gives me away. Yeah. And so, um, but luckily, and actually, I'll give the guy a shout out. As, uh, oh, boy. There was a fighter that I knew from uh, Jackson's who, who trains there. He, oh, huh? he, he's actually, even though Almaty is not his city, he lives in Kazakhstan. And he was back after a three-month camp visiting with his uh, his uh, family. Oh, okay. This is a guy you were posting some pictures on Instagram yeah. or something, right? Yeah, I saw those. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened to my WhatsApp all of a sudden. Get ready for creative name pronunciation in three, <laughs> two. Don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Arman. Okay. Aspinov. Uh, there we go. I didn't maul it too badly. No, so, it's not too bad. So those guys from uh, uh, their camp there, um, uh, Alish Pride. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, saw me there at the airport and they had to stay at a hotel because he also had to catch a, a, a connecting flight the next morning. So, you know, they asked me, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm in the midst of figuring it out right now. I'm like, ah, oh, no, no, we'll take care of you. So, I, you know, I jumped in the car and then I was kind of messing with the ACB guys because uh, Paul from... Uh, from uh, England, he's like, "Hey, where are you at?" I'm like, "I don't know, man. They're just taking me out to the woods, you know." <laughs> he's like, "No, no, seriously, take a picture of whoever you're with. <laughs> Make sure you're not getting kidnapped right now." You know? I'm like, "Nah, I think I'm okay, man. I, honestly, I got a decent feeling about it, which probably is what most kidnapped feeling sure. <laughs> does probably say right before These it guys goes. Seem like my ah, friends. Seems like a nice guys, you know yeah. what I mean? And so uh, uh, they took me to the hotel. They, they took care of the room, you know, bought me uh, uh, food and. That's where I ate the horse meat. And then uh, 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 the next morning, you know, they saw me back to the airport and I, I was off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so my flight's supposed to be like at 11 o'clock, right? And, and it sure enough is not at 11 o'clock because now I'm on one of their uh, more local, uh, 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 I guess it's not local, still international travel to them because they're going from Kazakhstan to Tajikistan. But uh, I'm not going to be a dick and call out the airline, but it wasn't an airline that probably any of our listeners have ever been on before. Okay. So sure enough, we're there for two, four, six hours of a layover. Uh, I got to meet some of the guys, that uh, U.S. guys that are actually working over at the embassy, uh, doing different types of, uh, uh, you know, uh, of work, everything from just, you know, translators to, you know, uh, protective areas. And so um, we finally get there. And then, uh, I mean, we're having conversations that I probably won't be calling the fights because I was supposed to get there at like eleven o'clock. Oh, t- okay. I did. I saw something posted online yes. where people were saying, "Did I just hear Frank say correctly that he arrived?" Yes. Ten minutes. And I don't mean to jump ahead in your no, story. No, no. That's actually gotta make sure there's the same so thing we're talking I, about. I right? finally get in. <clears throat> it's a two-hour flight. Another thing kind of helped out a little bit was an hour. Uh, uh, they were an hour uh, ahead in time, uh-huh. so I, I gained an hour. 
And so when I land there, I have to get through customs now, passport control, go through customs. And luckily they had one of the guys standing there, you know, they pulled me to the front of the line, tried to get me through as fast as possible, but obviously I still got to go through the process. So we get through and they're like, you know, and uh, I jump in the car and we start flying towards the arena and, you know, and, and Dushanbe's not a big area, but you know, it's not, uh, definitely not four lane streets where we're yeah. going. So we get there and it's about 15 minutes before it starts. So I jump out of the car and, uh, you know, I, I run inside real quick and I'm like, okay, is there a, a, a restroom? You know, uh, uh, I, I need to use the restroom, you know? And so, yeah, no problem. So they walk me into the public area and I walk in. Now this is where the story gets kind of funny because I have to, you know, I've been at the airport. Uh, I don't have to just urinate. You know, I, I have to, you know, number two. And so <laughs> I walk into the stall. And I don't know if you know this in East Asia, a lot of the public restrooms, is just a hole in the ground. Yeah, I've been to China. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So it's, it's not a hole like in the dirt. I mean, it's porcelain. It's it's the toilet. But the toilet is on. Level the, with the ground. It's level with the ground, dude. Yeah. Which is never, great if you're a short, small person. Right. So I, and now I'm looking at it. I'm trying to figure it out. And I, and I don't have – first thing I do nowadays is I, I Google shit. Like, well, how the hell do you use this? You know, do I have a YouTube video? You literally Google shit. I was trying yeah. to. But uh, I don't have – I can't get any connections. So, um, no. So now I'm trying not to look like a creeper, but I'm trying to look at <laughs> – you know, you do what everybody does when you go into a foreign area. Yeah. You look at the locals. Do what the locals do. <laughs> what are the local guys doing, you know? So was some poor guy like uh, on his hole in the adjacent stall and he just sees your big dome like... I didn't go over the top, over the, okay. at least. I, I went to yeah. the side. I'm trying to look at the crack. And so I, I'm <laughs> looking, I'm like, that's okay. That's not worse. I'm like, am I supposed to take my pants off completely? And I'm looking at the floor... And it's a public restroom, like most public restrooms, and no matter what country you go to, uh, I'm not stepping on the floor barefoot. And smart. I'm, <laughs> and so I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, so do you take your pants off? And so uh, so I had to like work out the trajectory. <laughs> I'm like sitting mm. here. But, uh, I'm trying to figure out how this works. And so uh, luckily I figured it out after, you know, uh, uh, peeping on a few other guys and they you know, like watching what they were doing. Yeah. Then I come out and then, you know, I, I wash my hands real quick, slick my hair back with water, you know, uh, you know, and uh, throw on a button up shirt and then walk out to the arena, sit down and we have 10 minutes before the show starts. Oh man. And, and I wanted to complain not complain, but I'm sitting there calling up the guys like, Hey, you know, I'm running behind. They're like, Hey, and they're not answering my phone call. Yeah. I'm like, you know, you know guys, you know, I got issues here. I'm not getting there. They're like, we got a lion at the arena. I'm like, what? Like, well, there was a circus two days before, and they still have some of the animals there. And there's a lion in one of the rooms we want to use the workout room. It's in a cage, but no one wants to work out in a room with a lion in a cage. I'm like, ah, shit. Yeah, your problems are worse than mine. <laughs> Every time you want to go complaining, someone one-ups you. So then we got done with that, and then uh, I was supposed to um, come back immediately. They were going to, after the show, drive me back to the airport. Oh. And when I get there, the airplane is postponed till now, leaving. It was supposed to leave at 2 in the morning. Now it leaves at 6 in the morning so they take me back I, I go to the hotel i lay down for an hour and actually fall asleep wake up go back and then that's when i uh, i stay at the airport till about 11 o'clock that morning find out that uh that plane is no longer go well they have us even board the plane finally and i'm trying to look at it going okay i have to fly to uh, frankfurt germany i'm gonna have about an hour and a half to catch my connecting flight so now we 
pull off the runway and we're sitting on the tarmac for about an hour. I'm like, okay, I, I got 30 minutes. Like, you know, is it possible? I'm like, ah, you know, I, I've, I've crunched some numbers before and, you know, I've made some headway, you know, and just try to, you know, get through. So then they turn us around, they pull out the buses and they tell us that the plane's broken. <laughs> we're not getting on it. So Better go, to find out now. Yeah, I wasn't too disappointed about the fact <laughs> we got off a broken plane. Right. Uh, so then we go back to the... Uh, uh, the terminal, we sit there for a couple hours, and then uh, I, I start to call the wife, because now I realize I'm not going to make my connecting flight, and I'm trying to call the seminar in Millersville, Maryland, that right. I'm supposed to come back the, and do. Yeah, because it's not going to be enough that you just go to Tajikistan and then call some fights and then come home. No, not Frank Mir. You you go ahead and plan a, a seminar on the way back well, in Millersville, I mean, Maryland. That's a long time driving, flying back. I figured, you know, I might as well stop on the East Coast. And then sure. Sure. You know, and then maybe just do a seminar on the flight on the way home. If anybody wants to sign up, yeah, just get out there in the aisle. A problem, you know, yeah. imagine the air marshals, you know, <laughs> what is he doing? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so I'm trying to make that phone call. So why I'm trying to deal with that, because my phone's not allowing me to call, uh, John from Garfield Martial Arts. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to work that out. So then I had called the wife and Jennifer. I'm like, okay, you have to, cause my phone's letting me call you, uh, you know, we have to add mm -hmm. call. So we got that figured out and explained that, you know, I'm screwed. There's nothing I can do. So by the time I get done, I look up, everybody in the terminal's gone. What had happened was, I'll jump to the head yeah. of it. Because they realized the plane was not going to leave that day yeah. until the next morning right. at six in the morning, they took everybody through customs took them out, re-stamped their passports that, you know, basically that like saying, well, like kind of a re-entry, you know, like a yeah. do-over. Okay. And they took them to a, a hotel. Well, while this process is occurring, I'm on the phone trying to figure out and explain to people that I'm about to miss a seminar. You missed out on the process. I missed out on the process. So I look up and no one's there. And so uh, the girl who worked there, their, uh, the airlines is gone. So I try to go to another airlines. They don't speak English. And the only problem was I was starting to run into, and I'm sure that happens everywhere, but I was kind of getting the, I don't really want to deal with you. He'll help you. And just no, point at random yeah, people. You're getting passed off. Yeah, I got passed off quite a bit. And then I, I kind of, uh, for me, lost my cool a little bit. And luckily, at first, I didn't think very luckily. That brought security over to me. Mm. Uh, you know, a large foreigner getting kind of loud because I was yeah. upset that, you know, I was okay, I'm just going to leave. You know, I can't leave. I'm like, well, everybody else left. No, they didn't. <laughs> you tell me no one's left. I'm the only one in here. Yeah. And so uh, finally, two guys run up, figure out that I got left behind, that I'm part of a group that, that they don't have any intercommunication with whatsoever. Uh, and so I, I finally get out and then, you know, spend the night there and, uh, uh, and come home. Um, and uh, being there wasn't so bad, you know, like I yeah. said, you know. Uh, what is the Tajikistan Hilton like? Is that Actually, a, I stayed at the Hyatt, okay. super nice. Mrs. Mir might have freaked out because as we pulled up to the, uh, the Hyatt, uh -huh. they have a guy that stops you because they have these two like metals, uh, uh, reinforcements, you know, car barriers, basically. Mm -hmm. Barricade is mm -hmm. the word I'm looking for. They come up out of the ground. So if you try to run through, you'll smash your vehicle. Hmm. So you have to stop. You roll your window down. The guy comes and checks you out. Then he has a uh, a mirror on basically a long... Oh, yeah, they go underneath the car. Yeah, he has to mm -hmm. check the car out. You open the trunk, show him you don't have any explosives in the uh -huh. vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> and then the the, uh, the the barricade's lower and you can go through. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that, you know, it's pretty much preventative, you know, makes it's kind of like the TSA at the airport. They're, yeah. they're kind of there to make you feel better. They don't really stop anybody of any consequence. They just annoy the shit out of the rest of us. Yeah. 
uh, you know, so I was thinking, I'm like, oh, you know, this would be a nice place to bring Mrs. Mirror, you know, to try this out. I'm like, yeah, she'd have freaked out at the mirror under the car thing. Cause she would have asked why they were looking and what they were looking for. And if someone goes looking for a bum, might've been a problem. They don't do this at Disneyland. <laughs> no. Yeah. And so then, but uh, I got to be home for two days before I took off to Moscow. <laughs> Ah, and then I uh, went out there for fight. So, some might say, some might say, if you're already in Tajikistan and you got to be in Moscow two days later, you might just stay there. Yeah, I thought about it, but I wanted to come back to the kids. Cage had a football game. I was trying to catch. I envy being raised in this. Uh, fam- Let me just tell you, well, you should. I know the kids are in bed. You should march every one of them in here right now. Sit them on our guest couch and let me tell them about how things could be. (laughs) All right? Because my guess is, because they don't know any different, they're not adequately appreciating it. But but, uh, how about you for being an awesome dad? Trying, man. Doing my Congratulations on that. And then uh, the Fight Night Global was kind of funny in itself, you know? Uh, Yeah. Did you get to hear my broadcast? No, this one I have missed quite a bit of. I'm sorry (laughs) because of the time difference. (laughs) You need to listen. Okay. All right. (laughs) It was a little bit on the interesting side. Or anything in particular we should, I mean, we'd drive listeners there right now if they go on acb's yeah. youtube page it's right there so well you know anything in particular you want people to look out for uh the fight nine global guys are, are looking to step up their game and so they hired this group uh here in the u.s based organization mm-hmm. and, and the u.s guys are the ones that basically have hired me to bring me out there as part of the uh, the show and um th- on their part uh Everything's exactly how they say it's going to be. Okay. Booked my tickets two weeks out. You know, business class. You need the window. We get you the window. You know, yeah. you know whatever little, you know. Course. Need a plane that works. We're going to get a working yeah, yeah. plane. It was decent. Yeah. Once I got there, that breakdown of just efficiency mm-hmm. is fucking smashed. Man. Oh. It was horrible. Uh, just because we couldn't figure out, you know, who to ask for what who was in charge. I mean, for an example, uh, w- when I got there, uh, for the first half hour before the show started, we didn't know if I was even calling fights or not. Why would you not call the fights? That's or, exactly what I was trying yeah, to figure out. Okay. So we're getting there, and then one guy that basically runs one, you know, it was bu- basically a bunch of bubbles, if that makes sense. Okay. And the head guy controls everything, but yeah. because he controls everything, yeah, uh, I think a lot of stuff gets prioritized because he only has so much time so imagine if dana if we're talking the ufc was responsible for everything so everybody from the camera guy to the ticket seller to the usher if they wanted to okay something the only person that was allowed to okay everything was one guy yeah that would be bad be very difficult to get things done. And yeah. so uh, I think that's why they brought this American crew on to try to streamline things to show them a more efficient way that you can actually have a, a level of management where, okay, mm-hmm. this guy, this is his bubble and everybody in that bubble is going to report to him yeah. for the time being. And I'm going to trust this guy to make decisions on his own. You know, basically I'm going to have my own Donna, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to take care of stuff. So you that have to being, explain who Donna is. Oh, uh, Donna is basically the one that runs the UFC. Yeah. For Donna, uh, what's Macaron? What's her last name? What is her last name? Hmm. Anyway, there's a lady named Donna. She runs yeah. the UFC. As far yeah. as the rubber meets the uh, <laughs> pavement, yeah. right? So, anyways, uh, so at one point they don't know how many fights. If it's this, that, you know, because okay, the, the, like the TV crew doesn't know who I am, and then the production area over here. It was just, mm-hmm. it was very chaotic going back and forth. And then on top of that, I had to, um, the two guys I worked with, 
had never done broadcasting before. Now, was Brian Lacey not on this one? No, no. Brian Lacey's solely right now with ACB. Oh, uh, wait. I'm sorry. We're talking about Fight Global Night Fight Global. Night. Uh, Fight Night Global. Fight I'm Night sorry. Global. Different, ru- d- uh, uh, different also, Russian. Also Russians. Different Russians, though. Right. Same MMA, different Russians. Got it. I'm exactly. sorry. Yes. Okay. So these two guys... Had never never done it before, and nice, nice guys. Yeah. But here I'm jumping into a new show, and the oh. person I'm with has no idea what they're doing either. I mean, their yeah. first show. Yeah. What now? Let me ask. Were they fighters? Were they no. okay? <laughs> Brought, were they were they like professional broadcasters? No. Like okay. Was no. it the one guy that runs everything? Was he one no. of the guys doing the commentary uh, too? Uh, one guy. Uh, Seem to know, well, both guys seem to know about martial arts. Okay, uh, but um, now uh, these are Americans. One's an American that were, that lives in Moscow, and that's okay. why I think he got the opportunity. Okay, yeah, uh, and you know, and 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 for the situation, you know, they both did as good as you could possibly, yeah. you know, as well as I think anybody could do in the same yeah. situation, being brand new at it, and uh, you know, no rehearsal. Which I thought was odd that you know, like, okay, you're gonna have a, a new guy. Let's have a rehearsal and yeah, and let's walk through this. There was no. Uh, uh, call sheet you know as far as okay at this time we're gonna go off at this time this so it was just uh it was uh, a lot of improv mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. so uh you know and then you know obviously too you know they're both new guys so they said things that you know a couple times i'm like looking at them i'm like what yeah yeah <laughs> uh you know uh and so uh yeah it made for an interesting night wow so now you're going to be doing more fight night global that's going to be coming up this year yeah, well, yeah. they have more Fight Night Globals, mm-hmm. and hopefully still ACB. Uh, okay. Still working out, you know, how to go between the two and back and forth, and mm-hmm. if that works out. Uh, uh, I, I think right now there was a little bit of an issue where kind of, uh, I don't know if it's a Russian thing, but uh, where, well, if you're going to work for one, you can't work for the other. You know, we're mm-hmm. both, you know, um, whereas I was kind of laughing because – the judges work for both. I've seen judges that work at ACB that were working there. The uh, the uh, MC, uh, uh, Alexander uh, Zagorski. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander Buffer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he was there. He's at ACB. So I, I was kind of like, you know, I understand you don't want fighters going yeah. back and forth. But production crew, which as a, a a color commentator, I fall under in this situation. Yeah. I don't think it matters, you know. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Now, has anybody thought to call Jeff Monson because he's got to be around somewhere close over there? Yeah. If he's not on the card, because I think half of all Russian cards he has to fight on. I think that's a Russian law. But then the other half, he'd be. He's uh, our token American. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, all in all, it was pretty fun. Uh, but uh, I just wasn't used to some of the stuff going on. So, like I said, when yeah. you sit there watching, you'll see me kind of. Because uh, we had no uh, uh, truck in the air as far okay. as no yep. one talking yep. to us in our headpiece. Yep. Uh, I had one of the guys from the production crew on the American side, basically with nothing in his ear either. But just trying to like do it the old-fashioned way, like sitting there looking over and go, okay, I think the guys are walking, go. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so uh, at one point, me and the guy started announcing. And I look over, I'm like, I'm waiting to announce the second guy, and he's already in the cage. It took me about two or three fights to realize that for the early fights, I don't know to save time, but both fighters walked at the same time. So they both walk out. Yeah, no, I'm not shitting you, man. Yeah. And they walk shoulder to shoulder to the cage. Wow. And then one stops, gets checked by the ref, you know, and then he enters and the other one. So they enter pretty much back to back. So then I started catching on to that. I'm like, all right, cool. They're both walking at the same time. No problem. But then they shift gears on me. didn't tell me. And all of a sudden it was one guy and then the other. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. Wow. 
you are getting such you know you you had all the experience pretty early on in your career with uh, with WEC, but of course that was being part of a of a bigger show, bigger production. You know, always kind of under that Zufa umbrella, UFC yeah. and that kind of thing. Now it's interesting because between this stuff and podcasting. You were getting like a real guerrilla education yes. uh, over this course of a year in different kinds of broadcasting. This is really interesting to watch. I definitely get to work at it at all different levels. I think if I had just stayed only doing stuff for UFC and WEC, yeah, I don't think I'd have the understanding of other aspects of it that yeah. I'm having now. It's going to be interesting to me if I were if I were scripting it for a movie then you would be involved in some promotion where there were technical problems and you actually use the little bit of knowledge that you've learned here on the podcast about oh, no, I didn't tell you the best stringing part. cords to make it work. So it? I get a tap on the shoulder and they're setting up a camera shot behind me. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, and the guy's English is better than my Russian, so I yeah. can't ever complain. But he, you know, he tells me, you know, hey, you're going to do an interview. I'm like, oh, okay. So they're going to have me interview the president of Fight Night Global's Camille, right? I'm like, or do an interview. So Camille stands up, he's there, and I stand up, so they hand me the the the, uh, the stick, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, why am I holding it? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. who's interviewing us? You know, and then I'm sitting oh, there. Oh, yeah. So the camera goes red, and they sit there and go, go. And I'm like looking at the camera, I'm like, <laughs> go with what? You Look. thought you were the interview subject. You're the interviewer. I was the one doing the interview. <laughs> I found out when everybody else found out. Yeah. Let <laughs> so go. They sit there and go, Ask him questions. I'm sitting there going, and then, I mean, you probably on camera can see the wheels turning <laughs> in my head going, oh, fuck. I'm yeah. the journalist right now? Yeah. <laughs> so then I go, okay. I start talking to him. Okay. So then we get through it, right? It, it was pretty bad probably on my part, obviously. I, no prep. No, mm -hmm. never done it before. Uh, no realization until about five seconds before uh, I actually started talking that that's what I was in. And so I sit back down and I'm like, okay. Like, uh, and now you're going to interview uh, uh, Bigfoot Silva. I'm like, okay. You know, like, so after the next fight, get up, interview Bigfoot Silva. And that one I was a little bit better on. Yeah. And then they asked Well, you'd him, met him before. Yeah, yeah. We've known each other. I think and you guys punched each other in the face a couple times. We have times. tried to hurt each other. Yeah. But now we're friends. Yeah. And then probably enemies in the future if we ever fight again. But uh -huh. you know, that's how it works. Uh, so then they want me to interview this basketball player. By the way, before you go to the basketball player, somebody posted something very funny uh, about that Bigfoot interview. I did see that. And it had a picture of you interviewing him. And it said, Frank Mir has hit the uh, Bigfoot trifecta. Number one, hunt Bigfoot. Number two, catch Bigfoot. Number three, interview Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty clever. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, if you see the picture too, Bigfoot looks good though. The beard, yeah. the haircut, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I was actually pretty impressed with his new, uh, his new uh, style. Man. I was happy to see him grow a full head of hair. I did not. I I figured he was shaved. He had a shaved no, head. No, talking reason. about a guy that looks drastically better. I like know. I told him, like without getting too homo, I'm like, hey man, you need to keep the haircut. Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah. it is definitely an improvement. It was a good look for him. Definitely a good look. So then so they had then, a, then a basketball player comes along. Yeah, and I can't remember the guy's name now. Mm -hmm. but I had to say it three or four times so I wouldn't forget it. A but, guy who probably had a for time in that floor level toilet than you did oh yeah by far yeah. the guy was at least you know yeah. six foot ten if not seven feet tall i mean he was he must was, have looked like a praying mantis trying to get down on the ground <laughs> yeah so i'm looking up at him you know and so uh, he's an nba star probably one of russia's best basketball players when i'm being told so i interviewed mm -hmm. him and then uh then when i sit back down luckily they uh, uh started finally giving me tips They're like okay 
after the interviews say this, you know, go back to you just looking at the camera and smiling is kind of odd. I'm like, yeah. right. I mean, because again, I've never, never thought that I was going to interview anybody. So in that, uh, format you know mm-hmm. so uh you know i've done post fight interviews and then usually how you close out is you say the guy's name you're like and you're a winner joe blow you know yeah where in this one i was like okay and thank you you know so i looked at the camera so that was uh you know then i sat back down a couple times you know in between i'm like you know and the, and, and the guy on my side from uh, from america he's trying to give me tips like okay you know at the end you know look at the start off looking at the camera do this i'm like all right so i'm getting uh uh instruction on how to do this on the fly why this is live you know, I'm like, man, you know, like, wow. this is definitely a story for the kids, you know? Wow. Well, believe it or not, you were not the only person dealing with Russians over the last week. Oh, you had, is that what the story, uh, are we getting to that? It involves a brothel that I work at and it involves some Russians. Yes. Um, so we had a, uh, everybody, if this is your first time on uh, the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast, you may not know that I work at a brothel. That's where my day job is, and uh, a legal brothel here in, in Nevada. If you're a regular listener, then you know it all too well. So uh, we had a uh, call from a Russian travel show. As I understood it, it sounded like it was like what would be on like the Russian version of the Travel Channel, but a pretty popular show from what I understood. And uh, a guy that was the host of the show that was coming, and he's pretty well-known, I guess, in Russia. This is what our PR department was telling me. So it was a big deal uh, that uh, these guys were, were coming. We get, we get international media pretty regularly. But these Russians uh, came, and they were going to do a, a couple of days shoot in, uh, uh, at, our, uh, at our brothel out in the desert. So... They had a couple of requests. They were going to do their uh, their shoot on a Sunday, and what they wanted was they wanted to know if we could send a limo to our limo to the uh, strip to pick them up at their hotel, and then they film the ride out to the desert. Sure, no problem. And they wanted to get one of the girls to come along for the ride where they could talk to her in the car. Yes, we can do that too. So uh, Sunday morning comes early. Of course, most of the girls are getting up, getting ready for church. Uh, there was uh, uh, one of the girls was staying behind to be part of this uh, this film shoot. So uh, just because sometimes I don't know when you're joking. Yeah. Are there any of the girls who really go to church? No. So the uh, the limo. I would driver, be surprised though. Yeah. Man, they 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 if they go, they just sweat a lot. So they didn't want to, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I've watched adult movies and I see a girl getting banged with a crucifix on. Oh yeah, I always thought that was kind of odd, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 is a little uh, that is a little strange. You know what? No, I'll, I will say though, I, while none of them actually go, you're gonna get in trouble now. Just all of. the girls are heathens, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I, ironically, I do get in some strange religious discussions out there where I'm the resident atheist and I'm right? the prostitute is debating religion with me and why I should be a believer. Yeah. But uh, so so one of the girls is going to ride in the limo with the driver, and they're going to go pick up the Russians. Russians are staying in a hotel in the Las Vegas Strip. So they go out, pick up the Russians. Now, it's an hour out to the brothel, more or less door-to-door, from the Las Vegas Strip. And you you really just drive through nothing but desert except about midway through the drive, you go through this little one stoplight town called Indian Springs. Okay. 
And uh, they have like one stoplight, a gas station, a post office, and a, a very small Air Force base. That's where you buy fireworks, right? Uh, no, no. You you actually we we have a fireworks stand next to the brothel. Actually, if you'd like to come out there to get your fireworks, but no, I don't. I mean, to my knowledge, they don't even have that there. Oh, okay. I mean, it is just some trailers and a little small Air Force base. So the Russians are in the limo with one of our um, one of our self-employed prostitutes and the limo driver. Well, the limo driver and the prostitute get very nervous when they get to Indian Springs because the Russians, in Russian, by the way, speaking Russian, start filming the Air Force Base. And that is when the limo driver and the prostitute put their heads together and realize, oh no, we're not part of some documentary. This is all a ruse. We have oh, been no. inadvertently looped into they some sort of, part of, some kind of Russian spy, spy ring, some sort of uh, uh, operation of international espionage, and we've got to let somebody know quick. I mean, while we can still get a message out before they do whatever they do to cut off our communications. So a desperate email went out. Uh, they, they actually got one of the uh, cashiers at the brothel sort of involved in the hysteria as well. And uh, an urgent communique was sent out that uh, before we get any deeper into this thing, I mean, before we find ourselves testifying in front of Senate select committees or whatever, we may want to, you know, put the brakes uh, on this deal. Fortunately, cooler heads prevailed. Uh, a simple Google search, not unlike the one that uh, involved your trip to the restroom there in Tajikistan uh, showed who these people, if they, if they were in fact spies, they had very elaborate cover. Uh, so anyway, the, the shoot went ahead as planned and uh, hopefully this won't uh, impact any future political aspirations that any of us may have. But I thought that was very funny. I mean, it was now, a, that do, multiple do people the driver and the working girl. Yeah. Do they really believe you now, or do they feel you're part of the conspiracy? You just—it's a great question. I mean, I, I I use my skills of persuasion, so I hope they believe me. But uh, that's a very you fair might question. Be a Russian spy. I could very well be. That that is the, and that's why I'm going back and forth all the time. Well, I'm yeah. bringing back our information. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think as I, I if I get stopped to the Nest Customs, I'm going to be pissed off that I made this joke. <laughs> yeah, I think as I said on a uh, a previous episode that we taped, uh, I, I I would I would wonder whether or not you were being uh, used as some sort of operative. But given the fact that you had to call Brian Lacey over to your hotel room to figure out how to sign into Skype to talk to me, yes, I don't know that you're the best guy for the for the I job. I could be fronting this whole time. Yeah, I could be a technological uh, savant. <laughs> it was amazing to me that we had. I mean, because it was multiple people putting their heads together on this theory. You know, it's not like it was just one person. It was like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I, I see what's going on here. You know, we've got to uh, we got to call in the military quickly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was really something. So that's what you had to take. Because we were scheduled to talk on the phone, I believe. That's right. Yeah, I was having to deal with kind of a, an urgent issue that, that involved that. I uh, I also thought about you uh, this past weekend when uh, actually I was watching uh, I was watching WrestleMania. I used to love pro wrestling as a kid, and uh, 
I it, it, it heavily influenced me in terms of leading me into uh, pursuit of you know an entertainment career and things like that. And I I also uh, when I got into my twenties, I late twenties, I worked in it for a little bit. I worked in a regional promotion called the National Wrestling Alliance in Texas that uh, would it was kind of like a like a feeder system, like a minor league for you know like where. Um, I don't know, like a girl that uh, does well in Invicta gets a UFC deal or something like that. So it was kind of like that. And uh, so I don't really follow it uh, uh, too much anymore, although I'll kind of I'll watch it when it's on. I like hearing uh, our friends uh, Chael, Sonnen, and, and Joel talk about it and things like that because I know they're fans. So that's always interesting to me. But uh, anyway, WrestleMania is the Super Bowl of you know the pro wrestling year. It's the biggest event. And so it was on uh, yesterday, and I was watching, and a uh, a former foe of yours, Brock Lesnar, was uh, was on the card. No longer the UFC champion, but apparently still has what it takes to be the WWE champion because he won the title last night, uh, defeating uh, Bill Goldberg, who had come back for. Uh, oh, I don't uh, know, Bill still wrestles. Yeah, well, he hasn't in like a decade, but he's come back, and so it's kind of a meeting of the legends, right? So. Uh, so Brock Lesnar wins the, uh, title. Now, are you familiar with this little guy? I mean, he's not, he's not little, but he's, he's portly. Uh, but, uh, uh, Paul Heyman, no. this guy is like his man. So you know how the bad guys have managers that come to the ring with them? They're is he always- the guy? Cause I've heard people tell me yeah. his, 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 there's a guy that talks for Brock now. Yeah, right? that guy. Yeah, yeah. Brock's not the best on the mic. So, so uh, yeah, this guy. Connecting syllables is not his best. Right. So this guy uh, does all of the the bad guy talking, you know, which is very important in wrestling. But as art imitates uh, re- reality, uh, in real life, he's kind of a spokesperson for him. Um, he, uh, uh, you know, th- does interviews, and I guess Brock uh, authorizes him to talk about things he may or may not do in the future and things like that. And uh, I saw Paul Heyman saying that uh, he thought that, well, you can't rule out that Brock Lesnar might uh, return to the UFC one day. You know, his suspension is up, I think, in a year or something, and uh, or maybe it's July. Maybe it was only one year. I can't remember if it was one year or two years, what he ended up getting. But you know, you you know, Brock's capable of anything, and uh, he he can succeed at anything. And he, you never know, he may just come back to uh, the the UFC. But all of that reminded me to tell you a funny story about the time that this guy Paul Heyman threatened to sue me when I was a kid. You want to hear that? Yes, please. Okay. So I'd kind of forgotten about this story, but seeing the guy uh, reminded me. So. What happened was, yeah, Paul Heyman. I just want to see what the guy looks like. Yeah. So what happened was um, I was working in my little, you know, independent wrestling promotion before I really got into radio full time. And Paul Heyman was running this wrestling promotion called ECW, stood for Extreme Championship Wrestling. And they were kind of a, you know, a smaller minor league alternative. They weren't the, the big giant show of the WWE. They were kind of the cool independent promotion that uh, a lot of hardcore fans knew and loved. But they were always having money trouble. Hold on a second. Our friend Joe's here. Oh, okay. All right. Joe's going to come visit. 
seeing someone dancing down the hallway there. Is he locked out though? Oh yeah, hold on. Let me uh let me uh key him in through our sophisticated security system here in the bunker. <laughs> There we go. Come on in. Hi, Joe. How's it going? Come on in. No, you're fine. Just sit down, man. We're just. Yeah. Just work right around there. There you go. If you want to go down toward that corner on Frank, because there's a camera right there in the middle. There we go. Over your right shoulder. All right. Should be good. Okay. Have you met Joe before? No, we haven't met. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Richard. British brother. Hey, how you doing, man? Just moved back to Vegas. So. Welcome to the bunker. Uh, so you're just in time for my uh, story about when Paul Heyman threatened to you sue follow, me when I was a teenager. Pro wrestling at all? Okay. okay. Well, it's about as much as I do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you learned something. So so he had this little uh, promotion that was a real fan favorite called ECW, but they were always having money trouble. So they were going to come to Dallas and uh, do a show called you know running a show like he was going to promote a show in Dallas. Well, my little promotion, which was far smaller than his saw an opportunity to um uh hire some of the wrestlers because they weren't under exclusive contract to him right so imagine if you fought for the ufc but you didn't have a ufc contract for whatever right. reason so i'd be got, a, a, a match by match basis yeah basically. exactly so you know hey event uh, by event. yeah if i had the ability to you know you're you you know ufc's coming to town anyway and you're gonna be here so if i uh somehow had the logistical ability to you know pay you while you were here to fight again and save on the travel because the UFC has already flown you in and put you up, then that, makes sense. that would work for me. Now, what he should have done was put into the contracts of any of his performers that they couldn't do that for anybody else, but I think he wasn't paying them any type of advances or guarantees or any kind of thing like that that would afford him the ability to make demands of people like that, right? Okay. So we uh, we had signed a few of his guys up who at this point desperately needed money because he owed them a bad bunch of back money, you know, uh, to work our show. Now, what happened was... But you guys weren't trying to block him. It wasn't like you asked him to work on the night of his show, right? No, in fact, it'd be after. It wasn't right. even... Yeah, it would be after his show. So, the guys would come so and work ours. So now there's no risk of the guys being injured with your show because they're doing his show first. True. Where's the downside for him? Well, probably what his thinking is going to be is in terms of the draw. Because probably what he's going to think is, well, these guys are, why would you pay to see them on my show if they're going to go work another show and it might be a cheaper ticket? Now, his oh. show, and wrestling fans will understand this, I mean, his show would have been infinitely bigger and better and more impressive and more star-studded and all the rest of that than ours. To, to address your question, no, there really was no reason to worry about, you know, cannibalizing uh, the product. But um, nonetheless, he was. So one of his wrestlers, one of his talents had told us that, you know, oh, man, I'm glad I've got this gig with you guys because he owes me all this money and, you know, they're having money problems, so he's got a bunch of IOUs out there and everything. Well, he canceled the Dallas show. And this is, at this point, we're still a few weeks out, right? He cancels the Dallas show, his, his Dallas show, on pretty short notice. And he tried to tell his 
wrestlers, his talent, that the reason that they canceled the show was because a couple of his selfish wrestlers had contracted with us to work this other show and that that killed ticket sales. But I knew the promoter of the venue where he was putting on his show. And that promoter told me that he had canceled the show prior to all of that because he didn't have enough money to put it on. So you see what happened? Really, he canceled it in right. and of himself because he didn't have the money to but do it. It looks better to call it on you guys. He used this as a scapegoat, right? So I got the letter that he wrote the promoter canceling the show, and I put it on our website. So that exposed him. And, uh, yeah, he threatened to sue me <laughs> for putting it up there. Is there any basis to sue someone for that? I don't think so. No, I mean, it's not like it was a stolen document. No, I mean, the guy, one one of the parties gave it to me, and it wasn't a contract. It wasn't like, it was like a email or something like that and nothing really uh came up but i never i never forgot that i always remembered it you know that was like my first experience with this guy i was like who is this guy you know like threatening to to sue me and it's a very like bad guy pro wrestler thing to do anyway you know the bad guy's always threatening to involve lawyers and litigation and things like that so there's my paul Heyman story all right, good. By the way, it looks like our uh, our internet feed is holding up nicely here in the uh, phone booth fighting bunker. So that is a, a positive indication of things to come. We're actually kind of trying out the um, the Wi-Fi signal in here as much as anything else to make sure we can hold a live video stream because we we uh, we got a, a TV monitor up on the wall. We're going to be able to Skype in guests. We're going to be able to have some guests uh, in studio here. We've got a nice guest couch set up, and uh, so we'll be inviting some folks in to. Uh, join the join the party um what about uh what about fights uh do you see any were you able to see anything over this weekend we had the uh rampage jackson king mo rematch just highlights and basically it looked like the first fight bombed. yeah you know i thought that first fight king mo won and uh um of course the decision went rampage's way this one went the way of king mo 29 28 across the board uh i gave him rounds one and three i think the other three judges uh, the other three judges, like I'm a judge, the three judges did as well. Rampage landed uh, a few strikes in the uh, in the second that was uh, probably did enough damage to to get him the round. But um, I guess the the broader topic is King Mo has his next fight made. He's going to be on that uh, pay per view card against Ryan Bader. So that answers that question. We're talking about Ryan Bader signed with Bellator, and that makes a lot of sense to put that fight on that uh, Bellator, uh, what is it, 180 pay-per-view mm-hmm. they're doing for Madison Square Garden. So that's what King Mo's plans are going to be in uh, June on the undercard of uh, Chael Sonnen and, uh, and Vanderlei Silva. The real question is, where does Rampage go from here? Because, you know, he's been on a winning streak, and, and he's – He's always such a kind of a confusing fighter for me because he, um, I mean, he's been around forever, of course, since the Pride days, and and I, I think that's where a lot of the nostalgia for him comes in. But he always his 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 focus and um, you know maybe I guess I should just say desire to to fight always seems to kind of wax and wane. And I noticed he had given some comments about interview in uh, interviews this week saying that. You know, he kind of in some ways regretted ever getting involved in the sport that, you know, it made him not know his family as well. And it pulled him out of Memphis where he was from and things like that. And, you know, like he was getting a little uh, 
a little um uh better yeah but i was gonna say more kind of reflective of you know yeah i made a lot of money along the way and i achieved fame and fortune but maybe it cost me some things to i don't know maybe not the best uh, mindset to be in for fight week his contract is now up in bellator no more bellator contract Scott Coker, Scott Coker had an interesting comment. He said that he thought Rampage might still have a fight or two left on his UFC deal because there was always there was that there was that weird litigation between the two of them that uh, between UFC and Rampage and I I don't know that everybody was absolutely for sure where all that stood. So uh, if he does fight anymore, I guess maybe he, he he might have to look at going back to the UFC. I don't know. I've always just kind of been. I think he's been able to market himself. He's kind of been able to disguise that fluctuation and focus to me as an observer over the years because he still comes out to the cage with the toe chain and the howl and the, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he's still good for some sound bites and things like that. And he's always been marketable. But, man, when I think when it's all said and done and you just look at his career, I mean, it's, it's going to be a real roller coaster ride of of ebbs and flows in terms of level of commitment have you ever have you followed him that club i mean obviously you guys aren't in the same weight class but he's been around forever have no, you, you watched him very closely yeah and actually uh we've crossed paths a couple times you know training wise and social yeah. wise uh i like him i think that maybe i think the misconnect is that there are some guys out there that are as fighters that are very dedicated to the sport of fighting yeah and and i think that uh quentin is a natural fighter mm -hmm. and will show up and fight anybody uh and very talented and both mentally strong i think he's physically fit you know has a lot of natural attributes but i don't know if being a professional fighter was ever really an ambition of his as funny as that sounds mm. you know i don't know if uh ever got that from him that he wants to be a professional fighter to be a world champion i, I think that he got into fighting that he got paid and he, he liked to fight people you know mm -hmm. and i think that i think that in itself was uh, a selling point in a lot of ways but i think sometimes when you see him fall short in situations or not prepare uh, exactly, I think that's because he falls back upon the fact that he's just a fighter and maybe not a uh, professional trying to be a professional athlete type fighter. I've, I've, um, you know, with, with, uh, w w with rampage, I've always wondered how much of that was, um, just maybe not being particularly uh, motivated to uh, have to move beyond natural ability he might have had, like you just said. He's got he's got natural attributes, but uh, you know, like coming into the fight uh, this past weekend with uh, with King Mo, that fight was at heavyweight, mm -hmm. and there's no reason that uh, that King Mo should ever fight at heavyweight. I mean, these guys fought at middleweight, and he's a natural light heavyweight. He doesn't need to be fighting at heavyweight. Rampage, although he'd had a heavyweight fights in his past, was you know saw his real success at light heavyweight. So it just means that Rampage is not going to have to cut weight. He weighed in at 253 pounds and was uh, was sort of trying to say that well, this is going to be an advantage because I'm going to have 40 pounds on King Mo and. Uh, I can uh, use that size advantage, but uh, there's no there's no size advantage to that when you're uh, on bottom. Yeah, and and it just as soon as I heard that, I just thought, boy, 
this is one of those things. I mean, I hate to say there's sure things ever in MMA and not to, not to slight his abilities that I know he has, but if you tell me that he's going to go in and he's going to weigh that much, I'm just going to think, well, and you know, he, he can, he can land a shot and, and Mo's been knocked out. But if you're telling me that's not going to be the outcome of the fight, then I'm going to guess he didn't win it. Right. And if anything, I think it actually hurt him. Uh, in my opinion, because having that extra weight made him slower. And I think through less punches, I think that, um, you know, he would have been much better off, even if it was a heavyweight fight and he didn't want to suck down to 205. Mm-hmm. If he had shown up at 220, 225, I think that would have been ideal because he still would have been quick and fast and basically had the body that he normally has at 205 just without the last 10 days of trying to, you know, to, to, to remove water weight. Yeah. So he would have felt great. And then that version of Quentin, I think, would have been extremely dangerous. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we've seen the. I, I feel like we probably haven't seen the last of him. Um, I mean, it's not like Quentin. I, I don't know. The advantages of uh, of most fight fans have is that most of the fighters they get used to a certain lifestyle, and to ask them to do something else in life to acquire that same type of uh, monetary. Uh, gains is is, is is that's a lot you know if you get guys that can do other things in the sport you know Chael Sonnen you know he might end up retiring you know because his ability to do so many different other things make it to where you make a comfortable living you know uh, you go into mm-hmm. acting or you know and you know Quentin's had his uh his run at the you know the A team had a good appearance but I haven't really seen him do much since then you know? yeah um, and even that going back to that because I remember I interviewed Dana right around that time because if you remember the circumstances surrounding he was supposed to fight Rashad Evans and they were supposed to fight in Memphis uh, Rampage's hometown Rampage pulled out of that pay-per-view because he wanted to go film the A-team and they ended up having to put BJ Penn on the card in Memphis I was there were you on that card? Yeah, I fought oh who did you fight do you remember you were on that card shit I think Chet Congo okay does yeah. that sound right yeah so you were probably you were like in the co-main probably yeah yeah. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna wikipedia your own record so you yeah. can figure out okay that's sad right yeah, it's sad <laughs> man especially if it turns out you weren't on the card let's see if I, you were I, even on it i'm pretty sure i was there it sounds right well you it, might have been there maybe you just had crosswords with someone in the parking lot and you remembered it oh, as a fight i was there oh, <laughs> um while you're looking yeah, at it. check on. Oh, okay. Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. UFC 107. You won. Yeah. Yeah. Penn versus Sanchez. You already knew that, though. You didn't have to look up to see if you won. No, I You remember, remember winning. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you won. Yeah. <laughs> it's the losing sometimes I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I remember I remember when I interviewed Dana, he was like, he said something to me, the, 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 the crux of which was, we've got BJ Penn fighting in fucking Memphis. Like the whole point of doing this Memphis card was so that Rampage Jackson could fight in his hometown, and then he pulled out to uh, to do the A team. That was also at a point where Dana had a lot less experience with his uh, athletes getting movie roles, you know. So I think he was uh, none too. That was before the days of Ronda Rousey. I think he was uh, none none too pleased by all that. But anyway, just going back even that far, you know that I mean, yes, that's a great opportunity and everything, but that even that many years ago shows you that even then rampage, like you said, was kind of, 
you know, how much of this do I really enjoy and how much of it is my natural ability and I've been able to do it, but there's other things I'd prefer to be doing too. I mean, if you could tell Rampage Jackson that he could play uh, video games professionally, I think that might really interest him more than anything else. I know he loves playing video games. Yeah. Well, and again, I think it's just... um he had an incident, I think, over in his junior college where, you know, he got into an altercation with somebody and, uh-huh. and, and hurt them. And so I think he learned early on that if push comes to shove, that he's a really, you know, he, he has the natural ability to yeah. fight people. Yeah. Uh, he hits hard. He's tough. He has a good wrestling base that a lot of people don't really acknowledge. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, and heavy hands. And so, uh, you know, you see him in the fights. A lot of times he just... Uh, especially early in his career was extremely raw, you know, people, mm-hmm. you know, slammed them down, didn't really know what he was doing. And it was kind of going there in a kamikaze style. And, uh, as he actually become more successful, people, you know, cornered him down and he, he got much more efficient training. But I remember one time talking to, uh, uh Quentin and he, uh, self-admitted, he goes, ah, man, in the gym, man, I'm nothing. You know, he goes, everybody kicks my ass. Hmm. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. You know, I was, I was kind of looking at him like, huh and then it made me realize at that time i'm looking at him like that's because you really don't try to win any and not that you you know we have those guys that are the gym warriors that you know Mm -hmm. that's their ufc you know that's their super bowl you know every practice every drill you know they're trying to you know and and then 99.9 percent of the time you'll never hear that guy's name in the world because he's burnt out by the time it comes to the real fight yeah and so I think there's a balance, but uh, w- when he made that statement to me that you know, well, you know, in the gym I'm just not really that good. I'm like, that's because you never really try in the gym. In my thought, mm-hmm. you know, and I could be wrong. Maybe you just you know, the I feel that that natural killer in him comes out when lights go on, yeah, cameras are on him, and he's able to get into that mood, get into that mode, and mm-hmm. so. Uh, I think he has that ability. And and so if people fight him in those type of fights where it's a, a fight, I think that he still will have a lot of success going on into the future. You know, if people want to brawl with him or, or fight a high pace, go for submissions and, you know, he'll pick you up and slam you. And, you know, but if you want to fight a King Mo style of fight, I think that's always going to be difficult for him, even though he does have a good wrestling base. Uh, but, you know, I think too mentally, it just, that doesn't put him in a fight. I think if you wrestle with him and kind of pin him down, that doesn't really call out his inner lion. You know, I mm-hmm. think that I think that uh, in a lot of ways he doesn't even see that as losing a fight because it's like ah, you out wrestled me, so what? You know, even though he gets the L at the end of the the night, there's no personal uh, disparity. There's no there's no inner turmoil that you know. No, I got to rise above this. I don't want to lose a sport fight. I don't think he cares about losing a sport fight. I think that if you start punching him in the face and you know and pushing him around and, and throwing him around, I think that that will incite the inner instinct of the killer instinct that he has in him, and he'll fight back and brawl with you, and you know he'll put you know left hook you into the next uh, time zone. But if you just kind of point fight with him. I think that, uh, you know, you've seen fights before, like even the Machida fight, which he ended up winning the decision, but you can kind of see fighting that kind of guy doesn't, you know, I think Quentin's best fights are guys like a Vandalay Silva. Mm-hmm. 
Because Vandalay is a person who's going to put you in a war. Yeah. He's going to go toe-to-toe. He's going to bring that fight out of you. Right. And I think Vandalay fights back, you know, in that type of situation. You're going to see the best of uh, of, uh, Quentin. So if he does have a future and chooses to still fight, I think that Scott Coker's or the Dana Whites of the world are best if they want to utilize him to the best of their abilities. They have to put him with other guys that are finishers, Mm -hmm. not point fighters like King Mo is. Who's you know uh, use a strategy to take you down, hold you down? He's not really hitting you to knock you out. He's hitting you to score points so the referee, the judges, you know, give you well, the nod. And you know what? You may just be making a case there for him uh, taking a look at re-signing with Bellator because that I think is where you're going to find more of those kind of guys. Look, look, Vanderlei Silva's still there. He's about yeah. to fight Chael Sonnen. I mean, uh, you tell me you couldn't market a uh, Vanderlei Silva. Uh, uh, Rampage Jackson fight, you know, a pride throwback fight yeah. over there in Bellator. So I don't know. It sounded like after this uh, weekend, Scott Coker wasn't too terribly excited about uh, uh, re-signing him, or at least was uh, maybe keeping his uh, cards kind of close to the vest. Oh, but I think there's something there. And I think that's just kind of King Mo's style too. Just makes for yeah. I got to be honest. With you. I'm not. Uh... I'm never biting at the bit if I find out King Mo's fighting. Like, ah, I really got to see that fight. It's like, I think he's a good fighter. He wins fights. Exciting to watch? Not really. It's kind of like, you know, even uh, the last couple years of uh, George St. Pierre's career. Mm -hmm. I think that he's a great fighter, but the George that fought like Matt Hughes the second time and and until the, I guess the George up until he got knocked out by Matt Serra, Mm -hmm. I was a very big fan of. You know, you've seen striking and movement and elbows on the ground. I mean, Sean Shirk, he took him down and, you know, he he destroyed him with ground and pound. Yeah. Then the the, the George St. Pierre post Matt Serra era. You know, I still had a lot of respect. I think he's a, a great martial artist. But as far as like, oh, God, I want to watch this guy fight. It's like, not really. It was a lot more wrestling based. It was a lot more control point fighting, game plan ish. Yeah, I call it point fighting when, yeah. you, when you're trying to win round by round. And then at the end, you have more rounds won, and then you win the fight. You know, to me, it's yeah. like, well, you're, you're purely fighting. Like, I, I, there are guys right now that are in the gym that when they go against the cage or they're on the ground, they're hitting maneuvers that are going to win the, the opinion of the judge. You know, mm-hmm. like, okay, well, in this position, step onto half guard and be on top, and now you can work from here. It's like, well, you're not working to finish. You're working to be in a superior position so that the judges are giving you writing time, essentially, you know, for lack of a better term, and counting you on top. Or when you're against the cage, it's like, well, you're only working for the takedown and the pin here so that you can, you know, establish that you're winning the fight. You're playing a game. You know, and and that's the part of the sport that I've just really, I'm not a fan of because I don't think that's really fighting. I I thought that the basis of us doing martial arts, when we first saw Hoist Gracie out there in UFC 1, you know, know, uh, was to finish with a choke or with a knockout. Mm -hmm. You know, get the guy to tap because he can't continue. Getting, you know, uh, and... On the flip side of that, I get annoyed when people sit there and go, well, don't leave it up to the ref- judge's decision. I'm like, well, there's two different fighters. There are those fighters that are point fighting. They're looking 
to, to get a nod from the judge. But then there's times where you have two guys that just go to war with each other and I couldn't knock you out. I couldn't submit you. Not because I wasn't trying, not because mm-hmm. I'm trying to get the judge to give me the nod, but you're that good. And you stopped every one of my submission attempts and every one of my knockout shots and vice versa. I stopped you and you stopped me. And at the end of it, now we have to rely upon a judge to decide who won. That's when I think judges, that is to me the point of having a judge. It's like, okay, you guys tried to finish each other. Mm-hmm. You're both so good that yeah. you couldn't oh, finish you. each yeah. other. So we have a backup plan. So this is the backup plan. That makes sense. You yeah. know, this, yeah. this is okay. Well, safety net. This is our safety yeah. net. Yeah. We're not going to have a draw every time someone doesn't yeah. get knocked out or submitted. We're going to have a winner here. But, you know, so, but, but again, people just have uh, mutated that concept to just like okay well that's my plan a i'm going to fight for a judge's decision and if on the way to my plan a somehow you drop your hands or you let me get on your neck and i can get the submission or i get the knockout great but i'm not fighting for it i'm not looking for Mm -hmm. it i'm trying to just fight safe and sound and if it works out it works out but if not my plan a is to win a judge's decision and I mean, come on! I think that's more than a majority of the fighters now I see do that. It's an interesting way to look at it. It's it's almost kind of like what a like what a plea bargain has become in court. You know, it was it was designed so okay, we've got somebody that you know we're we're very likely going to convict, but we can save money if we just offer them a plea deal. And that became that morphed into uh, prosecutors realizing that they could play to the plea bargain and say to the person. Look, even if you feel like you're innocent, we can scare you enough to where you're going to yeah. try to play it safe and just take the reduced sentence or yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll hang over the possibility of doing twenty, play it safe and yeah. just do five. Yeah. If you if you go to court, you know, the consequences will be heavy. You're right. And and that's what fighting's yeah. become. That's why I mean and I and I don't think all the fighters do that. I mean I mean Ferguson doesn't do that. Cerrone doesn't do that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Khabib definitely doesn't do that. Like there's a difference there, there's an example how Khabib Nurmagomedov, he does ground and pound compared to some other people and I won't be a dick and name them out, but there are other people that do ground and pound to the body to the body to the head and then they stop. To the yeah. body to the body to the head and then they stop. It's like you're not trying to hurt anybody. You're just trying to score points to look busy and work. You, you'll even hear the corner say it. Trust me. Anytime you hear a cornerman go, work, that's a guy who's an A, I'm trying to win a judge's decision type of fighter. Mm-hmm. What do you mean work? Yeah. I mean, be busy, be active for the sake of being busy and being active. Now, if you have a guy going, okay, he's dropping his hand here. He's looking there for risk control, giving you ideas on how to go for the finish. To me, I think that's what the fight should be evolving to is how do I knock you out or finish you? Just yeah. trying to wrestle you to death, you know, or, or dance around and score enough points with my hands that the judge, you know, and you didn't hit me. I hit you more than you hit me. God, that's boring. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I are going to have a chance to, um, to, to try to steer young fighters away from that type of approach because we have a, a little bit of a reveal here on Phone Booth Fighting tonight uh, for all of our listeners. Uh, this has uh, been in the works for a while, and now all the, the paperwork is official so we can, uh, we can talk about it. But, you know, uh, Real Water, uh, get real at drinkrealwater.com. A great uh, bottle of water uh, that, that Frank and I both drink. They have been with us for quite some time here on the show as a sponsor, keeping us hydrated, and a bottle of real, real water is never very far 
uh, from either one of us, just like uh, right here on the table inside the phone booth fighting bunker. But they also have an amateur fight promotion called Real MMA. And uh, we, we've been to a few of the cards, and uh, Frank's been in the ring presenting some, some belts and things like that to some winners. But uh, we were talking with uh, Brent Jones, who's the owner over at uh, Real Water and Real MMA, for some time about becoming part owners, minority owners, in the Real Mixed Martial Arts promotion. And surprise of all surprises, you and I both passed the paperwork with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and uh, it's official. So now we're part owners in an amateur mixed martial arts promotion, partner. I'm glad we didn't have to go in front of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was, some of us don't look as a <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's the funny thing though is 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 I'm I for one know for sure I can pass a federal criminal background check. Like I I always enjoy the process of just kind of the look of shock and surprise on everybody's face when they see how squeaky clean and boring I really am. No, no, you know? And I'm aware that you are, but like we, you know, everybody who's watching knows yeah. you don't necessarily look the part. No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm deceptive that way. It's my cover. Uh, like a, like a, like a, somebody on the vice squad. Uh, well, the, uh, the next mixed martial arts, uh, real MMA <clears throat> promotion, uh, card that we're going to be a part of is uh, coming up April 21st here in Las Vegas at Samstown Casino. It's a uh, real MMA 14, and it's not just any night. This is going to be a real uh, coming out uh, party for the, uh, the the kickoff of our partnership with Real MMA, Frank, because uh, we were able to involve Shannon Knapp and the Invicta Fighting Championships promotion in a in a very interesting way. So what's going to happen is. Shannon has uh, agreed to put uh, on the table a three-fight contract with Invicta Fighting Championships. Uh, we are going to kick off that night, April 21st, here in Las Vegas at Samstown, an eight-woman, 125-pound uh, flyweight tournament. And that tournament will play out over the summer at our various fight cards here in Las Vegas. And then the winner of it will be awarded a three-fight contract with Invicta Fighting Championship, courtesy of their president, uh, Shannon Knapp. Shannon's actually going to be here April 21st with us in person to kick it off. And then hopefully we'll get her back uh, at the uh, end of the summer, early fall, to present the contract. This is exciting. I'm very exciting to be involved. Excited to be involved in the promotional side of it, and especially to be able to to do things like uh, work with Shannon, who you and I are both uh, the big fans of. I think this is an exciting way to kick it off. One of the reasons we're we're talking about it, by the way, not that you know we're going to bring all the listeners along for the ride, even if you're not in the Las Vegas area and you can't come out and see the fights, you'll be able to follow it online, and we'll put up clips on uh, on on our uh, social media and things like that. But also, if anybody out there knows an amateur female fighter who can make the 125-pound weight and thinks that uh, she might be up for competing for a three-fight Invicta contract, send her our way because we're going to be looking for new talent all the time. So uh, that doesn't mean that uh, she couldn't uh, jump into the tournament at some point if uh, she passes muster with the matchmakers. So, uh, so anyway, so this is uh, this is all very exciting. And you know, you think about just a few years ago, Frank, 
people weren't talking about uh, women getting three fight contracts with any mixed martial arts promotion just a few years ago, let alone an all female mixed martial arts promotion. It really is a sign of the times. Yeah, that's why, I mean, Ronda Rousey really did make such an explosion in the mixed martial arts world of female martial arts. And it's sad that she, you know, I guess it could be kind of upsetting that she's kind of ended her career as of, the, as of now the way she did because I think she has a lot of things to be proud of that mm-hmm. she contributed to the sport and, and the evolution of what the female MMA is. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Gina Carano, I think, first kind of started getting it to be somewhat mainstream. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Cyborg just never really was enough of a personality, I feel, to push it over or be enough of a draw. And then uh, really, you know, Ronda Rousey is what, if it wasn't for her, I don't think there would have been females in the UFC. Yeah, I think it was her explosion in strike force and becoming the champion that finally won uh, Dana over to allow the women to go over there and compete. I'm getting a few comments on our uh, phone booth fighting Facebook page that are watching the live video stream, Frank, that are saying your microphone is having some issues. Try putting it, if you don't mind, put it back in the stand. Let's see if we can uh, get because it sounds fine in my headphones. But uh, how about right. now? All right, we'll see. Uh, see what everybody says. If you guys are still uh, on the stream, let us know if uh, Frank's mic clears up a little bit. We are we are beta testing the video stream, so we appreciate you guys being our uh, our test audience. Um, hey, uh, speaking of uh, of uh, um, of uh, issues with uh, audio, I got to tell you my story uh, last night doing stand up. Uh, I was uh, on stage at uh, LA Comedy Club. Great show, great bill last night. Uh, Paul Ogata was headlining, who was very, very funny, and I've worked with him before. And then the middle, uh, the the feature act was a guy named Lamont Ferguson, who I'd never worked with before. I didn't know him. He'd never worked the club before, but uh, had opened for George Carlin, which was instantly interesting to me because that's my favorite of all time. It's really smart comedy. Skills Hudson was on the bill too. He's he's always great. Anyway, it was just one of those nights, you know, where it was like. It was like uh, every fight delivered, you know what I mean? So uh, so we were having a great show, and it was a really uh, packed house, too, over there, and a uh, great Sunday night crowd. But there was just at stage left, give you an idea of what stand-up comedians deal with, there was a table uh, of... I say bachelorette party. No. Well, kind of close. <laughs> kind of close. If you're working a club, the worst thing in the world is a bachelorette party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a nightmare. This was um, this was a group of six or seven middle-aged women who all kind of had the same bob haircut. You know, I mean, they were like carbon like cookie cutter of each other. Moms of the night out of the town. Huh? But moms out on the town and it's Vegas. I mean, I think it was moms out of town, you know, oh. in Vegas kind of thing. You know, that's one thing I don't understand mm. being yeah. born and raised here is that people will come here, but like I'll go to Ohio and I don't act a fool just because yeah. I'm not in my hometown. Yeah. And, and the same person, if they live in LA, they go to Cleveland they don't act like an asshole. Yep. But for some reason, we have like a just a stigma that people feel like they get out of jail free card. Like if you come to Vegas, feel free to act like an ass. I think that's right. I think it's like no matter what I'm doing, I'm not going to be the worst one. You know what I mean? I think that's the way they look yeah, at it. I've always been, because I'm like, 
well, what does it matter where you are? Don't you feel uncomfortable acting like an asshole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they they were I, they showed up pretty drunk, and they were chatty during my set, but you know, not not as bad as they were. By and the that's time brave. They'd done some more drinking. Anytime got to I'm the at headliner. a comedy show, yeah. I make sure that I do not want to ever draw the attention. And that's right. Of the guy who has the mic, because a. Yeah. Everybody can hear him. Who makes fun of people for a living. And B, yeah. he's probably really good at it, yeah, probably gonna, better than you are. Yeah, and, and, he's going to turn it on you. That's oh, right. you don't yeah. want that guy who just sits there and yeah. just probably has <laughs> hours of ammo that yeah. he's already been, you know, like like you think you're the first person to fuck with this guy? Yep. He's just <laughs> waiting on his opportunity. They uh, they they weren't so bad for the, um, it wasn't, they, were, they weren't heckling, let's say, but they were just, they were just, loud a distraction uh, yeah they were distracting and it actually came to a head when one of the uh audience members this this guy called him out and he was like hey i can't hear like right in the middle of the stage he's like you know you're in my right ear here I, i'm hearing your conversation i can't hear what's going on stage these six women kind of gang up on this dude it really kind of stopped down the show for a little bit they didn't they didn't end up ha- they didn't quite have to throw him out but there was a whole discussion outside afterward. Fortunately, the the show was about uh, fifteen minutes from being done, or else they might have had to have uh, escorted them out. But I was talking to the bouncers, and I was thinking about bringing this up on the show just because of your history with bouncing. Um, but it, you know, they were telling Throwing me they were, women outside. Well, that's what they said. It's they the said, worst. you know, it really is the worst. They said, you know, you'd think that. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, that I will snatch your ass up. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, but women have. Like in all situations, like even if you're not a bouncer, you relate to this. If you get into a, you pull up next to a car mm-hmm. and it's another guy in the car, the chances of him, if he might have been flipping you off, but now that you can stare at each other, he probably calms down because he knows that if you get out of the car, he's going to have to fight you. Yeah. You know, so there's a little bit of a respect that men have for other men going, shit, is what I'm screwing around with right now worth having to get into an altercation, a physical altercation with other man. Mm-hmm. So because there's that uh, uh, unspoken rule that like, look, we can talk shit, but at a certain point we're going to throw down. Mm-hmm. You know, how much is what you're talking shit mean to you? Mm-hmm. You know, because whether you win or lose to this fight, we're going to fight. And and most humans are having aversion towards violence. You know, like, oh, yeah. I don't want to get violent. But women, especially when, that's why I think having a female bouncer is a must have a girl because mm-hmm. then there's not that stigma that well you can't put your hands on me it's like well she's a woman she can snatch you up too you know yeah. whereas uh, as a male bouncer when you address a female they have this bravado just like sometimes women in public i i see women get in men's face in a man's face much more aggressively and you'll see her boyfriend or her husband standing there like oh shit because he knows that well if i speak up this guy's gonna blast me mm-hmm. but my wife or girlfriend she can fucking mouth off mm-hmm. because social norm says that he's not going to probably put her teeth down her throat yeah and so it gives women sometimes an extra level of bravado that is a, a false sense of security that sometimes i got to admit i don't hate it when i see it come crashing down when certain women <laughs> yeah you know what i mean there's that girl yeah. that it's like i know you're not supposed to hit ladies yeah but when she kind of doesn't act like a lady anymore and she's really just just push the boundaries or pushes in a guy, you know, and it gets physical and it's like, she gets popped back. I'm like, okay, don't hit her twice, but you know, maybe one shot for uh, an attitude. Of, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there is that, you know, but, so, but being a bouncer, it's rough, man. I remember 
anytime there strippers fight, well, you have to deal with that shit. Oh, you know, yeah. strippers fighting each other, or you know, if uh, oh, fucking God forbid, that's why we would never let women in the club by themselves. Mm. You had to come with a guy. And so, meaning that the main reason was we didn't want some wife or girlfriend to show up while hubby is fucking, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the VIP room and uh, blowing their their joint uh, account. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it's ugly. But then women would bring their brother. You know, I know Bob's down at the club. Let's go. And so they they run in, and <laughs> sure enough, I mean, we don't know. I can't tell if that's your brother or your boyfriend. And so the girl will come in with a guy, and then all of a sudden you'll have a, a female dancer getting her ass kicked by uh, the the wife or the girlfriend who showed up and then you have to jump in there and grab them and then you have a woman you know screaming don't touch me you know and 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 it's funny because the when i was younger that used to actually get me not to you know don't touch me and my natural response is not to touch them until i got older and realized well male or female if you're physically assaulting another person i can wrap you up you know what i mean like no problem like whatever i can do to a man I can do to a woman, you know what I mean? Like if you're violently attacking a patron, then I can defend them. And that's within my rights to, you know, if you don't like the way the wrist lock feels, we'll stop punching the girl in the face. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, yeah, man, (laughs) I've had some bad experiences. (laughs) It sucks. Like I will deal with an angry man 10 out of 10 times. Dealing with women is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, uh, I think we should uh, read a couple of uh, iTunes reviews, Frank. Oh, if uh, you what did your bouncer say about it? Same thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. He was he was saying the same thing. He's like, man, that you that, that is the absolute worst. He's like, people think it's different. They think that uh, you know you you don't want to deal with the big burly drunken oh, no. guy. So much easier. So yeah. much easier. Yeah. The more prone a guy is to violence to me the easier it is to deal with him yeah the more a person's wordy and just just loud and just non-violent person because then also too men that will resort to violence very quickly mm-hmm. are easy to deal with as a bouncer because now you you open the door for me if as a bouncer you get physical then i can get physical because there's an escalation of violence that you know we're you know even if i criminally am not in trouble i have to defend myself civilly because you can still sue civilly i have to sit there and go well you know in front of a judge go why did you grab him well because he tried to punch me okay well so then you threw him to the ground yes well what what did you do then why did you hit him in the stomach well because he put his teeth on my forearm and started biting me so i wanted him to stop biting me so i hit him in in the stomach Okay, you know, see what I mean? Like, there's an there's an escalation of like the more violent you get, the more violent I'm allowed to be to defend myself and defuse the situation. But if you get a person who's just a loud mouth guy who doesn't put his hands on you or doesn't make any kind of movement that he's going to try to be physical, right. oh, that's the worst. Because then you can't really escalate. Because now you can't be the first one to get really physically violent. You know. Let's check in with uh, <laughs> iTunes reviews. And uh, by the way, uh, you do us a big favor. If you go on the Phone Booth Fighting iTunes page and you click on those five stars, uh, that is a huge help to us. It keeps us uh, high in the ratings on the iTunes podcast charts. And if you really want to go above and beyond, uh, write us uh, a kind line or two, and we like to read those on the air like what we're about to do right now, Frank. The first one comes from uh, Kay Purcell. I guess that's the right screen name. Uh, they say, uh, I was hooked when I heard the brothel story on the fighter and the kid. That was well played. I've been hooked ever since. Well, thank you very much. They're talking about the last time you and I went on uh, Fighter and the Kid with uh, Brendan Schaub and Brian Callen, and I uh, told a 
told a brothel story. How about you read one there? Oh, a this second one's one. a great podcast by Dr. Brett uh, White. I've been uh, binge listening to these podcasts after hearing Brian Lacey talk about them on Brad Pickett's podcast. Hmm. Oh, it's great. The, the, the One Punch. Yeah, One Punch podcast. I like it. Uh, I really enjoy the insight and perspectives of Frank and Richard and with regards to MMA as well as life events. I often different opinions from Richard's take on politics. However, I completely appreciate his calm, thoughtful, and non-defensive stance on issues, which I find interesting and makes me really consider my stance. Love the family work and training anecdotes. Uh, keep up the great work and keep up the podcast coming. Thanks, uh, Brett, one. or doctor, I guess I should say. I think that's the first time we've ever had a uh, PhD write us a review. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, we've got this one from, uh, oh, wait, is this another PhD? Dr. Gopta Black Belt? I'm willing to bet him. <laughs> he says, uh, great podcast, smart guys, and entertaining. Cheers. He's giving away his uh, geography there, that cheers. He may be British. They say cheers over there. You know that, right? Yeah, I've got that a few times. Yeah. And mate. Hit us with one more there. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, a great combination with uh, Frank and Richard. This is from uh, Tree Trunk. Mm -hmm. That could be an adult name. Could be. <laughs> adult star name. <laughs> my old gay porn name <laughs> let's get back to bringing frank's old opponents thought that was a great idea from richard we tried yeah all right we did try we tried we, that was but, supposed to be our debuting of this room yeah was uh richard worked out all right all right hold on let me just okay, tell him real quick before we reveal thought that was a great idea yeah, from richard keep them coming guys it really helps me on the flight uh keeps on the fly and might continue to work well okay so first of all uh tree trunk uh, we will have more Frank's uh, opponents on. Fortunately, we, we have a lot to choose from. We have a lot of opponents to choose from. Frank's had a, a prolific career. so we, uh, we Hopefully I can add to it. Let's make, I'll make your life easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we started with, uh, with Tim Sylvia. And uh, oh, you, you got to put that back on there. I'm sorry. Really, to do it makes that a big difference. Yeah, they're all saying that that's what made the difference, and I'm really? not exactly sure why. Yeah, sorry huh. about that. Well, well. By the way, you guys, uh, Ryan Ford actually from Grappling Central was watching. He said that uh, that fixed the audio issue. Oh, cool. Hey, that went back in the stand. Yeah, what's up, I think Ryan? I finally accepted him. I'm figuring out this Facebook thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're finally getting around to accepting friends on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> so if anybody's ever sent me a friend request, <laughs> now's the time to get in. Well, but here's the easy part. I'm finding with it. Yeah. If I see you request me and we yeah. have no friends already together, mm -hmm. I, I just hit the delete request. Mm. Cause I'm assuming that you have to already kind of be in the circle a little bit because I'll see names of people that like, and, and I'm assuming that, right? I mean, your personal fan page or your mm -hmm. personal Facebook page, I'm only going to connect with people that probably have my phone number too. Right? Like um, if you don't know where I live, why would you connect with me on Facebook? Yeah, I mean... Well, I have the, a fan page for that, right? Yeah, you do. Yeah, I didn't realize we were talking about the personal. Um, yeah, the personal one's the one I'm figuring out now. Yeah. If if I could start it over, I would just have the like the public page because it's a hassle to have to deal with both. I really didn't understand that when I created Facebook pages. I thought well, you... you got to have a personal one to, to run a public one. You order. do, but you don't have to do anything with it. Well, and that's where I've been so far up until yeah. two days ago. Okay. I had yeah. a personal one, but I've yeah. never used it. Yeah, I think when I first got it, I might have Jennifer went through there and was accepting people for me mm -hmm. that, that I knew, mm -hmm. and then now I've been trying to go through there, you know, and look at the request. But there's like, <laughs> yeah, quite a few. yeah, it's um. Uh, why were we just talking about Facebook? What brought know. it up? Oh, the stream. Ryan Ford yeah, Ryan said the Ford. stream. Okay, so we fixed the. He said oh, he fixed the audio. Bringing old opponents. opponents. We're getting to that. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say thank you for uh, uh, you folks who were watching the stream and kind of helping us out with uh, letting us know how the audio was sounding. So thank you for that. Uh, good to hear from you, Ryan. 
Okay, so, uh, and Francis also helped us out there. We appreciate it. So, uh, uh, we, we had Tim Sylvie on for the first installment of On the Record with Frank Mir, uh, which is going to be... Oh, that's what it was called? Yeah. Yeah, it had a name and everything. I was about to compose oh, a theme song. Yeah. So so we'll uh, we'll be doing more of it. Like I said, fortunately, we've got a number of opponents to choose from. Um, but one in particular that we thought we were going to have a couple of weeks ago, and, and we have not uh, told everybody, we kind of alluded a couple of weeks ago, I guess probably the better part of a month now, to the fact that we thought we had something really big planned for the beginning of March. And it was it was all set. It had been uh, confirmed and it was canceled at the last minute. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, or would you like to explain who was supposed to be here in the bunker, Frank? Well, it was going to be Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt. We were going to have Mark Hunt sit in here and I was going to be able to interview him. Uh, also, too, that way we could talk face to face about the whole uh, yeah. uh, drug testing issue afterwards. I wanted, uh, you know, I feel like anytime you talk to somebody and he was involved in the situation, you should be able to look them eye to eye yeah. and have this conversation. Uh, and what happened was this: they can so so I we were contacted by a film crew that's doing a documentary on him, an, an Australian film crew, and it went back months. I mean, it was like I want to say it was like at least six months ago, if not longer, uh, probably fall of last year when they first reached out about trying to get you, uh, to do, to participate in the documentary. And so you and I talked about it and I said, well, what if, you know, if, if you're willing to do it, what if you do it, but we get him to be a guest on the podcast, we sit down, we do this in person that gives you a chance to talk to him. You know, we get that content out of it, but then they can also use that for the documentary. And apparently, everybody loved the idea. I mean, the uh, the the person uh, with the the documentary company told me that both uh, Mark and Mark's manager had signed off on the idea, and that they liked the idea of doing it. And this was back in I want to say early February. So at that point, we've had you know basically about a month's notice with with Mark's confirmation and with um, his manager's confirmation they wanted to do it. Now they were going to do it. During the his fight week, um, when uh, uh, just this uh, uh, the the fight here in uh, Vegas that he had with Alistair Overeem, and so you know, I mean, that was I was I was kind of impressed by that. That okay, well, you know, if you got time to to do this and not just worry about the fights or whatever, um, then then cool. And the whole plan was so so that was first, right? Then. They contacted us and said, okay, give us the address of like the studio or whatever. And I said, well, we, um, we tape our podcast at Frank's house and we've just built out a, uh, a bunker, a studio. And how about we do it in here? And they were like, awesome. And it was all set and it got uh, nixed. I want to say with about 48 hours notice. And I never, I never talked to Mark. No, and it was I, the Monday. Yeah, Monday I before the Wednesday. Because it was going to be a Wednesday, right. And I never talked to Mark, and I never talked to his manager. I heard from the, uh, one of, I guess, like one of the directors of the documentary, and he said, well, they're not going to be able to, you know, they're not going to do that. We still want Frank on. And then at that point, you had declined to do that, because why would you just do... I don't think that was do, my exact words. No, it wasn't your exact words, but... I'm uh, like, oh, fuck them. Yeah, and I, I said, <laughs> you know, I told him, I'm like, listen, you know, uh, it's really important to Frank 
to be able to have this conversation and we're happy to have it, but you know, uh, that that's gotta be part of the deal. And I even said, Hey, if you know, you want to look at, uh, rescheduling at some time, you know, we could do it now. We've got a Skype connection. We could get Mark on Skype in here if he'd like to reconsider coming on. But I, I that's where I kind of left it. And, and that was, that was kind of the last I heard about it, but it was disappointing because one, I think everybody would have tuned in for that and would have loved to have heard it, but also, how rare is it for, you know, something controversial like this to happen? I mean, it's impressive enough that two guys who just were fighting each other a year ago are sitting down and talking. But then also, if there's controversy uh, surrounding that fight with the USADA test, that that you're going to want to sit down and talk about it. You know, and normally you would think you would be the one who wouldn't want to talk. You know, you were the one who was like come to my house, sit down, come on the podcast. Let's talk about it. I'll tell you, you know, I'll answer any of your questions. It wasn't like we said, uh, okay, you know, we'll have this conversation, but don't ask about this or don't ask about it. There was no stipulation like that. So it was, uh, it was, it was really too bad. Cause I really thought once it was confirmed with him and his manager, I thought, man, this is on, this is happening. And, uh, we, we didn't announce it just cause you know, there's that part of me that's like, well, until we're all sitting here, I'm not going to believe it. And even though I thought it was uh, about 99% for sure, now you're hearing it for the first time, the the almost was near miss of having Mark Hunt sitting inside uh, Frank Mir's uh, house here uh, inside our bunker doing the podcast with us. But it's still not too late, Mark. If you'd like to uh, join us via Skype from the land down under, you know what? Uh, not, to, not to speak for you, Frank, but... I'll, how about we offer? We'll even accommodate the uh, the the time difference. Yeah, maybe absolutely. we can work that out. So I'll do the Skype thing, but then that means the documentary I'll only do by Skype. There you go. Okay, I've always, you know what, I have always, and I don't know Mark. I mean, I've just interviewed him very briefly. I think once or twice. But I've always, uh, I've always, you know, oh, liked nice him as guy. a guy. Yeah. And let me tell you something. After reading his book, holy smokes, when you read that, how that's like the most honest autobiography I've ever read and you see like that guy's life story and what he's been through. I really, I would really just for other reasons, like to a chance to have him on the show and, and talk about that and everything. So hopefully that'll work out. Now phone booth fighting listeners know the rest of the story as Paul Harvey would say about who that, uh, that big guest was supposed to be. And hopefully we can do it again at some point in the near future. All right. Well, why don't we uh, do this, Frank? We've already told everybody to visit phoneboothfighting.com. Uh, click through that Amazon banner to support the show. It's right there on the front page. Also, uh, official show merchandise is available at phoneboothfighting.com, another great way to uh, reach out and support the show. Uh, also, patronize our sponsors like Real Water, like Earth's Brew, 10% off all orders at checkout if you click on the Earth's Brew link at phoneboothfighting.com. Dot com and also a similar offer from Robert Drysdale's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Online Academy. Uh, if you click on that link, you'll see all about that. Uh, Robert Drysdale, where Frank and myself train uh, Jiu-Jitsu, obviously with varying results. But you know what? Relatively speaking, uh, both success stories, I would say. Yeah. All right. Uh you can follow us on social media. All the social media stuff is right up there at phoneboothfighting.com as well. But uh, specifically, 
You can uh, find me on Twitter and Instagram at Richard Hunter. You can find me on Facebook at Official Richard Hunter. Frank and his Facebook awakening is happening over at Official Frank Mir, as well as Twitter and Instagram at The Frank Mir. And this is the part, Frank, for the first time in what feels like a long time, because we haven't uh, been together. This is the part where you tell everybody how to follow the show on social media. You can follow us on Phone Booth Fighting on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and uh, Twitter. You can find us at Phone Booth Fight. That's it. And we thank all you guys for uh, hanging with us. We're sorry that uh, just this last week we did have a hard time cranking out new episodes. Normally, we're really good about this. I mean, we, it doesn't matter what country you're in and all that kind of stuff. But we seem to find the point in the world where it's like the furthest difference away in terms of time. A literal 12-hour time difference where day is night and night is day. Yeah, you know, if kind I'm of there, hamstrung us. and I think next time I go out to the Fight Night Global or ACB, either one, I'm going to try to go a day earlier. Yeah. Because flying in and going right to the weigh-ins and then having that one night of sleep and then going to the fight, like, uh, that's where I'm finding the most difficulty. Because okay. I'm telling you that, look, okay, I get back to the hotel, but I've been up now on an airplane for the last 20 hours. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the podcast. And, we just, and then I'm mm, done. Yeah. Then I wake up in the middle of the night for me. And I'm like, I call you. It's like, hey, you know, or when I finally get up in the morning. But now it's nighttime to you. And so yeah. <laughs> I feel bad a couple times I called you. Like, hey, man, I'm up. Let's go. And, you know, I'm like, shit, it's 2 in the morning to him right now. Well, we appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us. And uh, we're, uh, we're back to full strength there. So we'll keep cranking out new episodes for you guys. For Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter. This has been Phone Booth Fighting. We'll see you next time. Everybody was Kung Fu fighting